Well, it is good, friends, to be home. <laughs> I've missed you. So it's good to be back. I, uh, I'm excited about the sermon series that we're moving into on being rooted in Christ. We, we, we come to this passage and this, uh, this section because we understand how important it is to have something that holds us, that anchors us when the storms of life come. Because in life, uh, there is always, right, there's always that unexpected tempest that blows in and, and kind of shakes us, and we're not always sure how we're going to stand up through it. And so it's important that we have, have something that anchors us, that holds us, that sustains us in the midst of those difficult times when they come. And they do come into every life, right? They, they don't always expect them or how we expect them, but they come. So this series about being rooted in Christ is one I've been given a lot of thought to. It, it began to take shape before I went on the sabbatical when I was at a wedding, actually. And uh, while I was up north enjoying just a, a kind of a beautiful evening, down here uh, there, was the, there were tornadoes and storms. And as I came home, I saw all of these trees just leveled all over the place. And as I saw that, it really made me think about how that in life, if we could see how these storms of life affect people. I think there are times we would probably see people just strewn all over the place because they've been uprooted. Their lives have been tossed into turmoil because of, of a tragedy or because of a circumstance or because of a problem that they had. I think God probably sees people that way. Of course, you know, the sad part for me is I look at some of those beautiful trees that once produced fruit and they, they pr provided shade. Now they're just going to be firewood or lawn mulch. <laughs> They've come to their end. And I don't want that for us. I want us to be fruitful all of our lives and be able to produce good things for God. And so I think it's important for us to talk about being anchored and being firmly rooted. And if we're going to do that, we have to start not by talking about trees. And, and I'm excited to talk about trees and roots and, because the Bible talks a lot about them. But we have to start at the beginning with seeds and soil and sowers. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, the 13th chapter. Now, there's so much I'd like to say about this. i got to tell you, when I preached on Thursday night for the first time back, uh, those poor people were subjected to about 50 minutes of preaching because I was so excited, had all this to share, and I realized very quickly I had to scale this sermon back a little bit uh, for you. Not that you wouldn't listen for 50 minutes, but, you know, it might really mess up your dinner plans. So anyway... Uh, I mean, there's more that we could talk about, and there's a lot more to dig in, and it comes right from the very beginning, because if you read the first verse, it says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. That's verse one. It makes you ask the question, what happened on the same day? And I don't have time to go into all of it, but if you go back and read chapter 12, you're going to see that Jesus had had a very long day already, and it had involved preaching and teaching and healing. It had involved people trying to trap him, trying to plot his death, and he knew all those things. There had been an interaction with his mother and his brothers, some of his brothers who didn't believe in him yet, James probably being one of them. And it had just been a hard day for Jesus. And the day doesn't get any easier, and chapter 13 is, is a continuation of a day that's been a really long day. And, and one of the things about this day that's happening is, there are a lot of people who want Jesus to be something that they want him to be, that are around him on this day. Everybody has a concept that they want Jesus to be 
this kind of Jesus. I, I want him to be like this for me. And I mean that in this context. This was happening in Galilee. And in Galilee, there were a lot of zealots. It's where the, it's Josephus says that's where the zealots lived. The zealots hated Rome. Uh, the zealots, they were, they were kind of terrorists or they were kind of uh, anarchists in a sense. They tried to disrupt anything good that Rome was doing. Uh, they didn't want to see Rome succeed, and so they would fight against that. And, and, and there was a huge contingent of the zealots that lived in the same neighborhood as Jesus when he's there in Galilee. And so it was a, it was a, uh, there were a lot of those individuals that what they wanted Jesus to do was to be anti-Rome. <laughs> Talk bad about how bad Rome is, Jesus, which surprisingly, if you read the words of Jesus, very little of it is ever aimed at Rome. In fact, a lot of what he says about Rome and the centurions is positive, not negative. It's interesting. They wanted Jesus to be something, but he wasn't what they wanted him to be. In that same region, there were also a lot of people that that were anti-Herodian. They didn't like the Herods, and they didn't like, and, and we, we, we have no real love for the Herods either. When we read the Christmas story and the things that Herod did, there's some bad stuff there. They were anti-Herodian. They didn't like the Herods. And, and so they felt like that there were things that needed to happen in Jerusalem, and they kind of wanted to have a Messiah, a king, who would be a righteous king over the nation. And there were people who wanted Jesus to be that, an earthly king. You know, Peter kind of even falls into some of the trap of, of trying to make Jesus be something you want. Remember that passage where Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan? That was a conversation where Peter was wanting Jesus to be something that Jesus wasn't destined or called to be. So everyone wants him to be something. And Jesus, in the middle of all that, tells a story called the parable of the sower. And the very first question that we have to ask ourselves when we hear the story is, what kind of a sower was Jesus? And with that, the second question, what kind of a sower of seed am I? Let's dig into the text a little further. It says, such a large crowd gathered around Jesus that he got into a boat and he sat in it, while all the people stood there on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. I'm not going to go into the idea of parables at length, but just know that parables are stories. And you may have heard it was a way of making it easier to understand a truth. That's actually not what Jesus says parables were. He actually says parables were designed that, in a way that it actually confused some people. <laughs> it especially confused people who didn't have in mind the thoughts of God. A parable demanded some things of us. One of the things it would demand is that it wasn't an easy answer and you'd have to continue to be in a relationship with Jesus to know what he was talking about. And so he tells a parable here. And the parable that he tells is about a farmer. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They, were, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Well, frequently this is interpreted as the Sermon of the Soils. But we'll see in a minute that Jesus called it the parable of the sower. So the first and principal thing to ask is, what was Jesus trying to teach us about sowers? <laughs> if that's what he called the sermon or the parable. And it asks the question, what kind of a sower am I? And so I want to ask us that for just a moment. This sower in the story is casting seed by what's called broadcasting, grabbing the seed, and he's throwing it to the wind. He's already cut some furrows or rows in the soil that he thinks will produce crop, but he knows the soil, he knows that the seeds are going to go all over the place. They're going to scatter, and he's okay with that. Some might say, well, that's a waste of the seed, but in the parable, Jesus seems to be a sower who wants the seed to get everywhere, not only in the places that seem likely to help it to grow. There's a hard reality about this sower. This sower knows that 75% of the places the soil lands, or the seed lands, it's not going to produce. But he's still cast it anyway. So what kind of a sower am I? Am I a faithful and consistent sower? Do I persevere even when 75% of the people reject the thing that I'm sowing? Do I cast widely or stingily? Do I think I know who should receive the gospel and who shouldn't? Or do I believe it's for everyone, no matter who they are or what they've done or what they look like? Am I a stingy spreader or broadcaster of the seed or a generous one? What kind of a sower am I? Maybe a better question to ask was, what kind of a sower was Jesus? Maybe that's the place to look here. What kind of a sower was he? As I was on the sabbatical and I was thinking, there was a passage that really came into the forefront of my thinking from Acts chapter 10. I shared this with our church staff earlier this week in our staff meeting, but, but I want to share this with you because it, it speaks to me on such a profound level. We make church so hard. <laughs> we, we complicate it and we, we do all kinds of things and we have all kinds of ideas, but I want you to gather something about what Peter he described the, the ministry of Jesus in just two verses, in Acts chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. And do you know how he described the ministry of Jesus? Here's what he said about Jesus of Nazareth. He said, he went around doing good, freeing people from the traps of the devil. This is how Peter, right, uh, in many regards, people consider him the, the great apostle. Even Paul called him a super apostle. This is Peter, spent all the time with Jesus, and he described Jesus' ministry as he went around doing good and freeing people from traps of the devil. Isn't that amazing? That's what kind of a sower he was. Jesus was a sower who just did good for people. I know that sounds simplistic, but do you understand that that is the methodology that transformed our world? That if we are to be a sower who's a good sower, one of the things about us is we are to go out doing good and freeing people from the traps of the devil, figuring out who's ensnared and how can Jesus set them free, and doing good to not just those people who look like us or talk like us or act like us, but doing good to all, which means doing good to those who deserve it and those who we don't think deserve it. That's hard. But Jesus did that, didn't he? All the way to the end. I mean, even when he was being crucified, he still did good. <laughs> even as they were nailing him to the tree, he said, Father, forgive them. He was compassionate in every aspect of his life. I'm not. 
I found it just the other day when someone honked at me and I couldn't do anything about it. And I thought, man, and boy, the first thoughts, well, I won't say them. They're not appropriate for church. <laughs> but, but I recognize I'm not compassionate in everything. Maybe you're not either. There's still a lot of the world in me. Maybe there's a lot of the world in you. Jesus went around doing good. We'd like to make it into a whole complex thing, but if we boiled it down, Peter's right. In fact, we could go a little further than that. If we want to see what kind of sower we're supposed to be, we could look and say, well, what does Jesus say about that? What does Jesus say about how the world will know that we're following him as a sower? You know, I know we recall what Jesus said when he was talking with his disciples. Jesus' words to them were, uh, they will know you are my disciples when you do what? Love one another. And that's how they'll know you're a disciple. That's how they'll know you're a sower when they see that you love other people. Wow, doing good, freeing those who caught in Satan's traps and loving others. Revolutionary gospel message. (laughs) This is what it means to be a good sower. So I ask you again, what kind of a sower are you? Now there's a second thing in this sermon, in this story, this parable that and parables have many questions they generate. That's one of the mark of a, marks of a parable. The quest, second question is this, is what kind of seed do I sow? Do you recognize that every single day, whether by intention or inattention, that you and I, we are casting and broadcasting seeds in the world? Sometimes we might spread a seed of discord. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? A seed of discord is when something happens you don't like and, and you have to go tell someone else, you're not going to believe what my coworker said to me this morning. And we have to share it and make sure that they all hear how bad my coworker is for whatever they did. I'm sorry, Virgil, I'm not really picking on you as my coworker, but you know. Seeds of discord. The Bible actually talks about those kinds of seeds that we can sow. Other people, it's, it's a kind of seed where it's a, it's a seed that causes a kind of division that undermines authority or undermines uh, good things. It's where a person, they always could do it better than the way it is. Ever been around a person like that? Surely none of you ever do that, right? But you're kind of, you've met them, right? Well, I can't believe they're doing this. They could have done these five things. It would have been so much better if they had just done this. And we do that not just in our jobs or in the world. We do that even about things at church sometimes. And so we become a sower of dissension where we basically try to undermine that the person isn't able to do. And boy, Jesus faced these seeds of dissension all the time. People were constantly undermining his ministry, trying to undermine his credibility by sowing seeds. You get that's what the Pharisees constantly were doing. The Sadducees were constantly doing. They were undermining Jesus and trying to plant seeds of of discord. Sometimes we, we spread other kinds of seeds. We spread seeds of anger or seeds of frustration. But I want you to understand that we are called to to cast seeds of hope, to cast seeds of life, seeds of peace, seeds of love. This is what we're called to sow in the world, seeds of righteousness, not seeds of unrighteousness. Here's the worst part about those seeds. (laughs) If I cast seeds that don't honor God, they tend to take root and to grow. 
But if I cast seeds of righteousness that honor God, they will also grow. To make matters worse for us, and we don't have time to go into the latter part of chapter 13, Jesus reminds us that we have an enemy who's also constantly sowing seeds, weeds, noxious things, destructive things. He has a lot to say about that as well. Read the end of the chapter and understand the role of seeds in the ministry of Jesus. For us, it's enough to ask the two questions we've asked so far. The first, what kind of a sower am I? And perhaps the more repentant question, what kind of a sower do I want to be? Because I can't really change the sower I've been. But we can all change the sower we're going to be today and tomorrow. And then the question about the kind of seed I'm sowing. (laughs) What kind of seed do I sow? Am I sowing seed that will produce a crop of righteousness or crop of division? My sowing seeds will produce a crop of peace and of love or hope or joy? Or my sowing seeds that will lead to fractures and hurt and to pain? What kind of seed do I sow? Well, the third question that's raised by the parable is a question about soil. And it asks us to go think not only about what kind of a sower I am I or what kind of a seed do I cast, but what kind of soil am I? Jesus is with his disciples, and we'll move ahead here to verse 18. And and the disciples are asking Jesus, well, what's the meaning of the parable? Help us to understand, which I said, right? Part of the idea of a parable is it called you to come back and to continue to be in dialogue with Jesus, to know and understand what he was talking about. And so they come back and they ask, and Jesus says this to them. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes. He snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. He said, I broadcast the seed, but sometimes there are people, they just don't have any framework of understanding. They're not able to even understand the truth that we're trying trying to help them understand. And, And the devil is quick to come along and just snatch it up before it can even take root. That's the seed on the path. That's the path soil, hard compact, well-worn, difficult for the seed to penetrate. And that can be our circumstance, the hard heart. You know, I've heard this many times. Well, I used to go to church, or I prayed, or I did this, and this thing happened, and I, I just can't get over it. Hard heart. Hard for the soil and the seed. Hard for the seed to grow in that kind of soil. Then he says there's another kind of soil. The seed... Some falls on rocky ground. It refers to someone who hears the word and at once they receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly quickly fall away. Sadly, this too we've seen happen and experienced. Maybe it's happened to you. You were excited about the idea of forgiveness and of joy and, and the good things that that. God asks us for, but those harder things change. (laughs) Becoming like Jesus, those aren't easy to do. And well, sometimes it's just easier to fall back into an old life than to embrace the new one. He says there's another kind of soil. He said there's some that falls among the thorns. It refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke 
the word, making it unfruitful. Remember I told you that our adversary is sowing seeds as well, thorns, noxious weeds, things that choke out the truth. Man, those are all around us. Just a quick view of the television screen on any given night will remind us how much things like pornography and, and uh, all kinds and manners of things that cause us to be addicted and to, to not follow God, they're all out there. In mass, taking God's name in vain is just considered an average night affair for TV these days. Things that we know aren't right, but people just get caught up in all that. Satan has made those things so palatable, so normal, so people just think it's all okay. And as we embrace those things that are weeds, they slowly choke out the light of truth. Be careful of those noxious weeds. Jesus said, but some falls on the good soil. It refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And the ones who hear it and receive it in the good soil don't just grow themselves. They produce, it says, a crop. In fact, they will yield 100 or 60, 30 times what was sown they'll produce more seed. They'll scatter more seed and more seeds will grow for those who let God's word reach the good soil. What kind of a sower am I? What kind of seed am I sowing? And what kind of soil is in my heart today? I really appreciated a story that I read. It's an old story. It, it happened in 1967. Uh, it's a story of a man named Doug Nichols. He was a young man back then in those days in the late 60s when the Peace Corps is going and so many things are happening in the world. And, and you may or may not know your history here, but in 1967, uh, there's a big conflict between India and China. And there were a lot of people in India that were really adversely affected by things that were happening. And there were a lot of idealistic young teenage American men and women uh, who had uh, a conviction to make the world a better place. That's really where it was. And, of course, there was war happening in Vietnam. There were a lot of things that were already happening in the world, and it was a confusing time for people. Many people here who lived right through it, you know what that was like. Well, Doug wanted to make the world a better place. He really did. And he got involved with some Christian organizations, and he got a passion in his heart when all these things happened in India to go there, uh, even though he couldn't speak the language, even though he, he didn't have any experience as a missionary or as an outreach person, but he did want to, what did Jesus do? He did good. And so he wanted to do good. And so as a young teenage male, he signed up and he went overseas to India and, uh, with him when he went there, because he couldn't speak the language, they had given him some things to help him and the ministry they had. And some of those things included some, a Bible written in Hindi as well as some brochures that were written in the language. But he couldn't read that language. Those are just things he could hand out to people who would want to receive them. He was doing some work, humanitarian aid work, Doug was. And, and while he was there, he contracted tuberculosis. And uh, while treatments had advanced greatly by the 60s for TB, it still involved quarantine. And he was placed in a sanitarium with the Indian people. 
Now here he was a U.S. citizen in a foreign place, and he's put in a sanitarium where he can't understand the doctors, he can't understand the nurses, he can't understand the patients. No one can talk to him. It is crazy land for him. Man, he had to feel so far from home. It had to be, had to be awful. And to make matters worse, go figure. There are people there who they were like, "What is this rich American doing in our hospital? He has no. He's a foreigner." We pay taxes after all. What's this foreigner doing taking up a bed in our hospital? We would never treat foreigners that way. Would we ever think of them that way? That's how they thought about him. He recognized he was not popular in that place. It was especially made obvious to him because what did he do? What did he want to do? He wanted to do good. So in the sanitarium, he tried to hand out... Those passages that are written in Hindi and those tracts and those Bibles. Do you think anybody even wanted to look at them? No, sirree. And it felt like he'd failed. He writes about the experience. Wow, that was close. He writes about the experience. I want to read to you a little bit from his story. Doug Nichols writes this. He said... I sensed many weren't happy with a rich American, because to them all Americans were rich, being in a free government-run sanitarium. I couldn't speak their language. I tried to give away the literature, Christian literature, that was written in their language, but everyone politely refused. The first few nights I was there, I would wake up coughing uh, around 2 a.m. in the morning. The coughing fits were awful. One morning, during one of those coughing spells, I noticed there was an elderly and much sicker patient than me across the aisle from me who was trying to get out of bed. The old man would sit up on the edge of his bed and try to stand, but in weakness, he would fall back down in his bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. The old man finally fell back into his bed exhausted, and then I heard him crying, even whimpering. Softly. The next morning, I realized what he'd been trying to do. The old man had been trying to get up just to walk to the bathroom. The stench in our ward was awful. Though I couldn't understand what they were saying, it was unmistakable that they were yelling insults at the old man, cursing him. Angry nurses moved him roughly from side to side as they cleaned up the mess. When it was all over, the old man curled himself into a ball on his bed and humiliated, frustrated, and embarrassed. Again, I heard him weep. The next night, about two o'clock, I again woke up coughing. I looked and I saw across the aisle that same man trying to stand up, just like the night before. And just like the night before, the man fell back down, whimpering. Now, it wasn't for any noble reason. I just don't like bad smells, and I didn't want to become involved, but I also didn't want the room to stink. So I got out of bed, and I walked over to the old man. When I touched his shoulder, his eyes opened wide with fear. It had been a horrible day for the old man. He expected more abuse. But I smiled. I put my arms under his arms and I picked him up. 
Because of his age and advanced sickness, he was light as a feather. I found I could carry him very easily. I carried him to the washroom, which was really just a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. And I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. After he finished, I picked him up and I carried him back to his bed. As I laid him down, I was surprised when the old man kissed me on the cheek. He said something, but I couldn't understand what he said. The next morning was interesting, unlike any I'd had in the sanitarium. When I woke the next morning, it was because someone was touching me on the side, offering me a steaming cup of tea. The man motioned with his hands for me to take the, the tea, and then he motioned to the tracks and the Bibles that sat next to my bed that no one had wanted. Can I have one? He seemed to be saying. As the sun rose that day, other patients approached and indicated they also wanted the booklets I had tried to distribute before. Throughout the day, nurses and interns and doctors, they all asked for literature. I had none left when the day was over. But it was still weeks before an English-speaking evangelist was able to come and visit me at the sanitarium. But when he did... Everyone wanted to talk to him and tell him things so he could tell me. And he discovered on that day that many in that sanitarium and hospital had come to faith. They were believing in Jesus. And then Doug asked this reflective question. What did it take to reach these people with the gospel? It wasn't health. I was sick. It wasn't the ability to speak their language. I didn't know it. And it wasn't some great power of persuasion. What did I have? No. What did I do? I reluctantly helped an old man to the bathroom. And that made all the difference. Every one of us is a sower of seed. I've asked you this morning to ask those questions. What kind of a sower are you? What kind of seed do you sow? What's the soil of your heart? Jesus was a messenger who lived his message. He was a sower who lived out the seed. We also must be messengers who live the message. You already heard it this morning, but I want to read to you again the prayer of the Apostle Paul as I conclude this first series, sermon in this series. These are Paul's words and prayer for other people who were sowing seed like you and like me. Here's his prayer. Lord, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen these with power through, his, through your Holy Spirit Strengthen them in their inner being so that Christ can dwell in their hearts through faith. And then he prayed directly for the people. I pray that you being rooted and established in love will have power together with all the Lord's holy people to 
grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There are some good seeds I want to cast in the room this morning. I want you to hear these. All of these are true and good seeds. First, the Bible's true. What the Bible tells us is truth. We can depend on it. We can count on it. The message you've heard today from God's word is truth. Might be inconvenient, may not be what we're going to hear, but it's still true. A second thing, not referenced in today's text, but a truth of the Bible that you need to understand is that heaven is real. Jesus is the one who told us, I'm going to prepare a place for you that you can be with me someday. It's real. There won't be weeds there. There won't be sickness and TB there. Understand this third truth that Jesus understood so well. Sin separates people from God. That's a truth. It always does. Little sins, big sins, it doesn't matter. All sin causes us to be separated from God. In God, there is no sin. The littlest, tiniest white lie that we can imagine to the most horrific act we can do, it all separates us from God. Worse yet, we all sin. There is no one righteous, not even one. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And worse than that, hell is real. It's real. The whole mission that Jesus had was to sake and deceive and to free people from the traps that lead to hell. Hell is real. But the best of the seed that we hold on to is the good news, the gospel. Jesus paid our sin debt to bring us back into a right relationship with God. Now we know, and we hear this seed, we accept Christ's gift of grace through faith and through belief. And then if we accept that, here's another seed of truth for us to remember, that we then follow Christ's example in baptism and obedience. Jesus is our example. That's truth. That's a seed that we need to let grow in our hearts. When we are faithful in this, we have the promise of receiving the very Holy Spirit of God as our comforter and our counselor in our life. The seed of faith grows in us. And finally, this seed. We are called to spend our lives then loving others with the same love that we have received. That's some good seed. It might be that the seed of faith has been growing in you for some time and that this is the day you're ready to say yes to Jesus. You're ready to make him your Lord and your Savior. I hope that's a decision that you're ready to make and willing to make. The vast majority of you in this room have made that decision. So the decision before you today may be one of repentance. Lord, I've been sowing some bad seed. Help me to get the seed right. Or I've been a reluctant sower or a selfish sower. I've only sowed in one place and I've refused to sow to places or people that I didn't care for. Maybe there's some things you need to address with God today. You don't have to take up with Marty. I don't know about it. But you definitely need to take up with God. He does know about it. Because he doesn't just look at the outward actions of what we do. He sees the thoughts and the motives of our heart. 
So you're not hiding anything from him. Maybe it's a repentant moment for us Christians to talk to him and say, you know what? (laughs) I got to get in the business you were in, Jesus. I need to spend a lot more time doing good and loving others and freeing people from the traps of the devil. I don't know what decisions on your heart, but I pray you'll be faithful to make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. Mm -hmm.